Hey guys, it's Dave Chang here. Going to talk about a show that I recently watched, Ted Lasso, and why I love it very quickly. And then we're going to get into a conversation we had a couple weeks ago with the great, great, great barbecue maestro, Kevin Bloodsoe. And that's all coming right up. Reboot your credit card with Apple Card, the only credit card designed for iPhone. It gives you up to 3% daily cash back on every purchase. It's real cash that never expires or loses value. Apply for Apple Card in the Wallet app on iPhone. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Daily cash is available via Apple Cash Card. Issued by Green Dot Bank, member FDIC, or as a statement credit. Terms and more at AppleCard.com. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, View its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Hello, everybody. I wanted to talk top of this podcast about a TV show that I have mentioned on social media that I love, Ted Lasso. And it's on Apple. A lot of people, I think, have commented how much they like it. And I have no reason as to why I didn't watch it. I love sports. I'm a big fan of Jason Sudeikis. And I have no idea as to why it took me so long. And I thought it was one-dimensional. And uh, after watching the series, it's a reminder that I'm often the one-dimensional problem, and I'm usually talking about the top of this podcast about food, and I'm going to do that right now. There's a lot of reasons to love Ted Lasso, particularly in quarantine, particularly the sort of state of the world we're in. It's a very positive show, full of satire and irony and cultural jokes and references, Um, very sharp, very witty, and uh, just one of my favorite things I've seen in a long time, and I'm a big crier and a lot of moments where I cried. But what I love most about it is I think Ted Lasso, for me, weirdly, is a even though he's a fictitious character, there's a lot of commonality and analogy, I think, in sports and working in professional restaurants. While people may not think of it as a sport, there's a lot of teamwork. And decisions that have to be made under duress. What I love about Ted is, as a coach, he's not saying that he's about being the best coach in the world. In fact, he doesn't even know anything about soccer, you know, football in England. He's a football coach of D2 in in America, and he winds up becoming a (laughs) Premier League soccer coach. But it's about how he makes team and how he gets the team to believe in culture and accountability and uh, the ups and downs. And it's about getting the best out of each individual. It's not, according to him, about winning or losing. It's about building the best team. And it's something that I've learned a lot about as a chef. I often wind up in the last couple of years telling younger cooks, the good version of me, I think can be like Ted Lasso, where I tell them it's not just about making the best food. It's about becoming a better person, something that I tried but was very bad at early on. 
And I think he really sets a template for people to follow in the food world, as crazy as that sounds, particularly managers. I think we should all take a page out of Ted Lasso. Yes, a fictitious character. But I found myself contemplating a lot of situations where I could have acted differently, and I wish I acted more like Ted. It's about building people up. It's about getting disparate pieces together. And if you believe in it, then anything is possible. Nothing is impossible. And in fact, he's a great baker as he makes British biscuits for the owner of the team. But there are numerous moments that I think I could make connections to. It doesn't mean his life is rosy. It doesn't mean that he doesn't have problems, but his overarching goal is to be the best version of himself and to grow and to reflect. And, you know, as chefs, as people that are in this industry, so much of it isn't about making the best recipe. You know, you can have the best recipe in the world, but if people don't want to make it right, it doesn't matter. There's a scene towards the end of the series, and there's 10 episodes, they're 30 minutes each, and highly, it's highly bingeable. But basically, one of the star players, Jamie Tart decides to pass instead of scoring the goal. And it's something that Ted Lasso has been preaching all season to be selfless. And, you know, Ted wanted to see true growth in his players. And you see in the aftermath of this game, Jamie Tart getting completely eviscerated and destroyed by his father. And honestly, it was hard for me to watch because I've been... I think the best versions of me are when I can be like Ted Lasso, but there are many moments where I've acted like Jamie Tart's dad. And it's not just me. I I know that's a lot of people in my business and it's how my dad treated me. And I think it's important. And that's why I wanted to talk about it because to be the best version of yourself when things are good, that's, that's relatively easy to be the best version of yourself when things are stressful or you don't meet expectations, that's hard. And, you know, I have a lot of regrets and I want to be more like Ted Lasso. That's as simple as that. And I have my slip-ups, man. I really do. And I still do. But it's the craziest thing to talk about a TV show. But it was very moving for me. And it really set a template of who I want to be. And it's a fucking TV show, guys. But... I am a very active Eeyore-like person, but I am completely motivated by things in culture, things that most people may not even be on anyone's radar. And people love Ted Lasso, but I love it for different reasons for me. I love it the same reasons I think as everyone else, but I really want to be the best version of myself, even though I'm not even in the kitchens anymore. You know, I think people always ask, what is the best role model? I think that... That is it. I really do. It's not anything what people might think a chef should be, but I think Ted Lasso really sets the template of what we all need to aspire to be and less like Jamie Tart's dad. Anyway, I wanted to talk about that. You guys should watch it. I'm in midway through watching it again and hope everyone is staying safe and sound. And uh, now on to the show. We're joined with Kevin Bledsoe, the arguably the greatest Los Angeles pit master, but I'm not saying just Los Angeles, 
one of America's greatest goats of all time. And I've been watching a lot of them this year on uh, Barbecue Masters on Netflix. I want to get into that a little bit, but uh, thank you for joining us, Kevin. How are you doing? Glad to be here, Dave. Pleasure. Thanks for having me, man. Big fan. Big fan. Likewise. Likewise. Uh, let's just sort of settle the debate here because everybody okay. asks me, and I'm the furthest thing from a barbecue expert or anything, but okay. everyone's like, where's the best barbecue? What, what state has the best barbecue? And I'm always yeah. like, uh, I don't know. I don't know what to tell them. It ain't no state got the best. I, I say it all the time, man. You can get, I've gotten bad barbecue in Texas. I've gotten good barbecue in Texas. I've gotten bad barbecue in LA. I've gotten good barbecue in LA. It just depends where to, where to go. You know what I mean? I mean, uh, I mean, I like Kansas City barbecue. I like Tennessee barbecue. I like it all. You know what I mean? It's not really one. I mean, I don't even see how you could pick a winner out of that. Just don't do no badass barbecue. Just do good barbecue. I don't give a damn if you're from Alaska. If you cooking some good barbecue in Anchorage, I'm at your house eating barbecue with you. <laughs> what's the uh, what's the barbecue of your memory? What's the one that's you're always thinking about? I mean, just coming out here. I live in Texas now, but you know, I'm born and raised in Compton, and just coming out here, hanging out with my granny in the summertime, man, being up all night with her cooking briskets for a family function. It's like I say, barbecue is a party. You know what I mean? And and those are the best memories. And then the food, just having some great, great food with some great, great times. It's not really like one that I could just sit and just remember because there was so many. I mean, I was just so blessed to come out here in the summertime and, and be here and see it, man. And I was just blessed. But it was, uh, I mean, so many. Most time, Juneteenth barbecue, barbecue, strawberry sodas and brisket, ribs. That's how we got down out here. So mm. it, it was, it's so many so many different stories and, and memories, man. It's hard to pick just one. Well, you can't say Texas has the best barbecue because I know a lot of <laughs> Texas spitmasters and they say everything else is... I, I mean, yeah, I mean, but... but I mean, I don't want to diss nobody out, but yeah, I say, tech, like I say, Texas got the most legit barbecue because like I say, you got to give Texas credit. I mean, I love barbecue sauce. I love sides and all that, but Texas, you better know how to get down totally on that damn meat, so... You Whoa, know. this this is this is the this is the the, the, the Protestant versus the Catholics right here. And before I begin, I'm sorry, American Barbecue Showdown. Yeah. Not Barbecue Masters, but sauce or not sauce. And almost everywhere else in America, sauce is their meat. I mean, Texas stand alone. You're gonna come, you're gonna get it. Uh I mean, like most places, they're gonna ask you. Texas not even gonna ask you. They're just gonna give you your sauce on the side. So, you know, if you go to a place in Texas and they put sauce on it without you asking, just walk out of there. You know, because you know they got some probably some badass barbecue, and I don't mean badass and good. I mean badass and effed up. Can, can, we, can we can we talk about that though for people that like to consider themselves amateur barbecue cooks and people that watch your show, people that watch food TV? You know, everyone claims they're the best, and I am the furthest thing from it, uh, from an expert. But from a cook's point of view. I would tend to argue the level of difficulty to cook something with no sauce, pure and virgin, that is a level of difficulty that a lot of people may not understand. And yes, there's nothing easy about cooking or doing any kind of barbecue, but in terms of the purity, in terms of the craftsmanship and technical ability and just know-how, that's why I would always say Texas barbecue, which is known for just cooking over woods and embers and no... Yeah injections or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. That's the most legit thing. I mean, yeah. I mean, because you're letting your meat speak for itself. 
you know, but you, I mean, you can go to Mississippi. They got some spots. I mean, you're some bad boys everywhere. I mean, of course, since you backed me in the corner, I'm always put Texas first, you know, but uh, L.A. gets a bad name, too. And a lot of people don't even know the history about uh, L.A. back when I was coming up. Central Avenue, Watts, Compton, South Central L.A. had some of the baddest barbecue restaurants around because when, you know, blacks were migrating to L.A. from the South, we had it all in L.A. So when people say L.A. don't not known for barbecue, back in the days it was. We had plenty of Texas barbecue places, Mississippi, uh, Memphis. We had all those right within like a five mile radius of each other. So, I mean, you go down Central Avenue, it was guys out there cooking rib tips and all that back in those days. L.A. had it going on back in those days. So. Well, Kevin, why? <laughs> I'm not trying to back you in another corner here, but just a statement. <laughs> why would the food media not know that? I mean, because they don't take the time, you know what I mean? And, you know, it's always, I mean, being able to diss something is always what everybody want to do anyway. But people who really, really know their history, like you know, know about this, all the barbecues, the legendary places, even before me, Woody's, a uh, place called Gadberry's on Slauson and Broadway has some of the best Texas barbecue around. Uh, Mr. Jim's need no teeth to eat, eat his beef. All these places <laughs> was just legendary back in the day, but... uh I mean, you know, of course, that was well before social media. And, and if social media and food TV was out back then, then they'll be talking about L.A. barbecue being a mecca of barbecue, too, back in those days. Kevin, when you were sitting around having family barbecues when you were young in Texas, you guys weren't sitting around talking about styles, I imagine. Or, or, or you know, was nah, your granny talking about, nah. I do this this way or the other way? Like, it was just... Natural? How, where, where did it come from for your family? Where did where I mean, did it was just natural what she did. She just, I mean, she'd talk about you if you brought some bad shit over to her house. She'll clown your <laughs> ass, say you that rib so dry you got to eat them in the rain. I mean, I got some of my best food jokes from her because she will talk about your food. But no, that's just the way she did it. That's the way she was taught how to do it. And uh, like I say, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I stand by that. You know, I didn't change up too much from what she taught me uh, learning under her back in the days. And in L.A. at that time, were you were you only eating barbecue when you were visiting Texas or were you eating it in L.A. too? Were you eating it in California? Were you oh, no, was it still yeah, good? I, yeah, I was I had a lot of places in L.A., like a couple of the ones that I mentioned uh, a lot of them. And like I said, my dad was a cop. So, you know, they know all the good spots, good donut spots and good food spots. So, uh, <laughs> uh, it was, like I said, Central Avenue, uh, Wilmington, uh, Smith's Barbecue uh, back in those. I mean, and like I said. It's like new to everybody, butcher paper and all that because of food TV. But they were doing that way back in the days, man, right there on uh in Watts on Wilmington Avenue, and that was like one of my father's uh favorite spots. So, and I loved barbecue as a kid. So it was a lot. In fact, my dad, you know, mom and dad divorced, and um, uh, my father lived in L.A. I was still in camp, so we'd go with him sometime on the weekends. You know, pops would give us a couple of dollars. My sister and brother, them, they going to buy other stuff. I'm going rocking down to Woody's and get me some damn brisket and a. Uh, Ribs at nine and 10 years old. You know what I mean? I mean, I was a fan back then, you know. Do you remember those places as they started closing? Do you remember as barbecue in California started fading away? Do you remember losing some of these places? Oh, yeah. I, I remember. I mean, it's the, it's the, you know, a lot of those guys was older people that family didn't uh, keep the legacies going. I mean, Woody's and Phillips are still there, you know, and they're still doing, you know, real well, you know, in South Central and, and, uh, Crenshaw District and all that, but it was so many back in those days. And uh, a lot of times, I mean, it's, I mean, you guys know it's hard work running a restaurant in a, 
I mean, I got three kids and I don't think none of them going in, into it because they see how hard you work. And, it, you know, y'all know the real. It's no such thing. There's no overnight success. You know, it's it's hard work. It's long hours. So them kids see that. They're not trying to do that. <laughs> do you think that you'll ever open up another shop because you closed in 2016? You have Outpost in, in Melbourne and in California. But um, mm-hmm. do you think you're going to like go back and open up? your own standalone restaurant where you're working every day, all the day? Nah, I don't. I, like I said, I, I I love it. But uh, when you go into business, you go into it for a reason. You go into it to make a living and make a good living. But uh, I didn't want to kill myself. And like I said, I went nine years with two off days in nine years. And I said, after 50, I'm not doing it. I, I mean, I still do it, but I'm not doing it like I was doing it like that. And it took me a minute after 50 before before I shut the uh, Compton location down. And I ain't the most religious person in the world, but I prayed for something and it was right there. And I didn't I didn't know he was giving it to me because the landlord got to tripping and all that. And I was like, wow, this is my out. I can walk away. And, you know, and that's what I did. Now, how do you feel about your days now that you don't have to operate a restaurant? Because that's something I think about a lot. You know, what, <laughs> life after a restaurant. What's it like now? I mean, it's crazy, of course, now with the pandemic. Before that, I was busier than I was when I was working day-to-day at, uh, at Bloodsoul's Compton. I mean, I found myself on the road. I moved out here in 2016 to relax. Like 2017 out of 365 days, I was on the road for almost 250 days. So again, they were keeping me busy. TV, uh other restaurants, going to Australia, pop-ups and all that. So this right now is the first break I've had since the pandemic that I haven't really, you know, and I still can't get it out of my system because I, I mean, I'm, I live out here on the lake, Dave, and a friend of mine has a beautiful restaurant out here and he's opening up a big old uh, pavilion and uh, I'm going to be smoking up there for him doing pop-ups and all that kind of stuff. And I'm smoking about 67 turkeys for him this week. So that I'm, I'm still working. Do you miss the travel? Now that you're you're not traveling, yeah, because that's do. something I miss. I yeah. miss, but I'm also like, man, I, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen when it, you can do it again. I mean, you never thought you missed going to the damn airport. I mean, I, I just, uh, I mean, it's cool to be home, but see, then I'm I'm I'm, I'm split because I'm away f- from my family. You know, uh, most of my family is still in L.A. All the kids and all that, and I really don't want them traveling right now. And you know what I mean? So it's 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 kind of weird right now, but uh, yeah, you get used to it. You get used to being on the road, you know what I mean? And uh, when you're on the road that much and you come home, that makes home just that much more better. You know it, you know. Yeah, so, yeah. But it's so funny when I would be on the road when I was still living in L.A., go to Australia, go somewhere, do a bar rescue episode or something. I didn't want to come home because I knew when I came back home, back to L.A., I had to get right back in 100-hour work weeks and stuff. Now, when I'm on the road and I live here where I live at now, I want to come home. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's just funny how it uh, how it flips like that. Speaking of Australia, I'm gonna have to visit there when I can to visit our restaurant and Paul Carmichael and our, our amazing team at, in Sydney. But yeah. you are in the Crown Casino. If people haven't been, it is an extraordinary casino. It's oh, so yeah, nice, it's crazy. I love it. But you have a restaurant there. Do people in Australia get American barbecue? They really do once they get it and understand it. You know, at first it was like, oh, the meat's not cooked and all that. But it, I mean, you know, the restaurant game it, It's how you explain it to them. 
You know what I mean? And then when they get it and 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 see how it is, they love it. I mean, it's it was before the pandemic, a barbecue was kind of exploding over there. A lot of uh, they got a lot of barbecue competitions. They uh, a lot of restaurants are going over there in Melbourne, opening up and and all that. So uh, I mean, they respect it. They really do, and they uh they go big out there. On, I mean, you've been to Australia, so chefs in Australia are almost as big as rock stars. I mean, I'm walking around the airport. There's people coming up asking me for my autograph. I thought they wanted to know, got that one album I put out back in 79. You know, but, uh, they want I really didn't, but I just always say that. But, uh, you know, I mean, they got you on a big old 100-foot billboard out there when you come in town in Australia. It's, uh, it's incredible. I mean, there's no reason why American barbecue, your barbecue, wouldn't be embraced by Australia. Like, you know, 15 oh, yeah. years ago, they were embracing Ar Argentinian uh, steakhouses and yeah. cooking oh, over yeah, fires. Yeah, yeah. Putting shrimp on the barbie. Yeah. The, the next progression <laughs> has to be that because it's a kind of cooking, ultimately, that regardless of where you're from, all of our ancestors were cooking this way. You That's know? right. That's right. And when you That's see real. it, it's something you just have to eat, which is yeah. why, you know, I always wonder about barbecue culture. It's something that I've been, again, trying to learn more about because I think it's one of the only foods moving forward yeah. after the pandemic, after the food delivery companies that are going to take out a lot of restaurants, there's going to be very few reasons why you would want to go to a restaurant. Yeah. Barbecue is one of the few things that I think deliver really well, but yeah. because of the yeah. hours associated with it, you actually have to go there because a lot of them close up shop well before dinner time. It's yeah. a way of yeah. living. It's a way of working. That's very counterintuitive yeah. to everything else. Yeah. And I think barbecue is going to be in the top like five kinds of restaurants that are going to open up in the next 10, 15 years because, yes, you can cook that at home, but not as well as Pitmaster. Yeah. And I'm curious to see if barbecue, that's what I'd bet. I think barbecue is just going to continue to expand, morph, evolve into all kinds of different ways and different parts of America are going to merge with different parts of the world. But do you think that people will care to take the time to understand the history of barbecue. I mean, I guess you have to look at that and look at any other food. What What is it? Of course, a foodie person will. Of course, I mean, 20 years ago, I don't think they really care. But now with food TV and I mean, our Netflix show, it was like, you know, we was in the top 10, which is almost most food shows don't make the top 10. You might make the top 10 for a uh, like was explained to me for a non-scripted show or whatever, whatever. But you in the top 10 with movies and TV shows for almost a whole month, which is huge. So, I mean, they, they are. I mean, they're taking the time to see the work and and how hard it is for them to prepare that food for you when you come in there, you know, because it's one of the, the few restaurants where you know somebody has cooked this meat 15 hours to make it perfect for you, you know. Because uh, Chris and I have a show on Ugly Delicious called Ugly Delicious. It was not in the top 10. Uh, <laughs> it did really, really well. Uh, extremely well, but not top 10, which is why I was like, holy cow. That cracked the top 10. When you guys cracked the top 10, I was like, holy shit. Yeah, that is amazing. Yeah, yeah I, I learned so much about that. I like, wow, that's, you know, I guess this is pretty big. My son was like, yeah, daddy, goddamn, act like you know. You know yeah. <laughs> Kevin, where, where do you see the next... Where are the next generation of pitmasters coming from? Is it are you seeing them in the restaurants? Are you seeing them on on the show? Like you've picked up the torch from your family, from your grandma. You became a pitmaster because, I mean, hell, you tell me why you pitmaster. You, you said you didn't want to go into food service, but you yeah, you did. So yeah. so where's the next generation? Where are you seeing them? Are is there? Are you hopeful about that? 
I mean, yeah, because what I've noticed, and I don't know if you notice on a lot of shows, there are a lot of trained chefs that are going into barbecue. And that's huge because I'm not a trained chef. I didn't go to culinary school. Uh, not saying you got to go to culinary school to be an incredible chef because you don't, but you have incredible chefs that are taking up barbecue. So when you're an incredible chef and you already know how to mix flavors and all that, and then you come into barbecue and you master that, excuse my language, you're going to be a badass motherfucking pit master because <laughs> you respect the game enough to learn it and really, really learn it. You, you understand what I mean? And you know all these different dishes and then you know how to incorporate them and all that. I mean, uh, that's where I think it's coming from. It's a lot of chefs that are being trained as chefs and they're going again to, to be trained as pit masters and they're going to be incredible. So, Chang, do you think that that's, I mean, I, I feel like I've known a number of, you know, quote unquote, trained chefs who've tried to do barbecue and they realize it's way fucking harder than it looks. <laughs> like, Chang, do you think that's really, like, you think a trained chef coming in is going to get barbecue? Is that always the case? Now, remember, like I said, it's the ones that respect the game. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I think it's a different way of looking at it because, again, I, I have not spent a fraction of the time of Kevin or any of the great pit masters. But it would seem to me it's a completely counterintuitive process to the, the French approach or any kind of systematic approach to cooking, whether it's Japanese or whatever. But that doesn't mean there isn't a system to barbecue, but it's all feel, man. Yeah. It's all yeah. feel like you can give a, a handbook or how to make something because there's, I don't know, every recipe under the sun about how to cook something. But someone told me, you know, because I make this comparison to like, well, I'll just give you the example that someone told me the barbecue is a lot like uh, learning about sex. You can read about it. You can watch it all you want, but doesn't mean you're going to be good at it when you do yeah. it. And and, uh, yeah. and and I think that's very, very accurate and in some ways i think if you are too trained at being a professional brigade type of chef it's going to hinder your ability to actually unlearn that yeah yeah because a lot of things like when i, when I look at rodney scott when I've, I've i've cooked with him a couple times i'm like that guy is doing stuff that isn't counterintuitive to me but like there's no way all the tricks that he's figured out would ever be explained in a book, or if I look at Kevin and the way he cooks, it's not that it's counterintuitive. How I've learned is regimented and structured, and I've been brainwashed. Yeah. You know, and 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 barbecue is liberating and it's freeing. And that's again the beautiful way about barbecue to me is you can do it any which way you want. Just make it fucking delicious. That's real talk right there. That's what I said. Just don't give me no badass barbecue. Shit. And it's a lot of places out there, any place you go, doing some bad barbecue, too. I never call them out by name or diss them out, but it's a lot of them that need to step their goddamn game up. <laughs> so the way Chang talks about barbecue cookery, pitmaster work is is a lot like the way you talk about like a sushi chef, Chang. Like, it's intuitive, there's technical know-how, but it's, it comes down to feel and what you're seeing, uh, what you're feeling with your hands. And you actually propose something as a hypothetical of the past, Chang, and I want, I want to hear what Kevin has to say about it. Kevin, what would you think if there was a, a restaurant, a 12-seat restaurant, and it's like a sushi counter, and people come in, and instead of getting sushi, you're just getting one or two slices at a time of various cuts of smoked meat, the best pieces, the best choice yeah. cuts, and you're eating them like you would a, a sushi meal. 
Like, what would yeah. you think if that were, if somebody said like, hey, we're going to go to dinner. This is a new kind of barbecue restaurant. I think that'd be cool. As long as you got some good drinks and some good music playing <laughs> and uh, whatever. And you bringing it out quicker than some of them damn sushi restaurants do. Because I don't <laughs> like waiting around all that, like that, for that food. If you bringing it out quicker than what they doing and you got some good drinks and some good food. And you add a few twists, like some lamb, like I'm doing a leg of lamb and a couple other things for uh, Thanksgiving. You add those kind of twists to it. I think it'd be real big. I really do. Let me write that down. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you're doing something like that, you are totally showcasing that piece of meat. So it has to be incredible. And that pitmaster has to be incredible. I mean, speaking of, of training, what I like, we use most of the old hickories now. Uh, but I was raised, of course, on old black cast iron smokers offset. And any one of my pitmasters who come in that I train, I train them on that first. Just like when I used to DJ, I had to DJ on the ones and twos. Mm-hmm. Before I learned how to appreciate when the new marks and the CDs came out and the laptops and I could appreciate it, but I still could get out on the ones and twos too. It's the same way with, uh, with barbecue. You train him on how you were trained on those old pits, sweating, uh, 150 degrees outside, you know, and you train them on that. So then when they get to the old hickories, you train them on those, but they can really, really appreciate it because they know the game. They know how to put a brisket out OG style, and then they know how to pull out the same brisket, you know, because you've updated. You know, everything evolves. Try to, you know, work smarter, not harder. I totally agree with that as long as it kicks out the same product, and that's the way I try to train my guys. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Changing topics a little bit in terms of smoke and beef. Over the years, I feel like I've gone, you know, cyclical. I'm out of my brisket phase <laughs> because I think it's it's better in maybe like soups and I'm over the decal right now and blah, blah, blah. I think it's just now so inconsistent and that's not the brisket's fault. I just think that too many people are eating brisket that, you know, the farms can't produce good brisket yeah. like it used to be. It's the marbling is just not as good. It's It's yeah. all condensed. It's all spotty and it's just not good. It's just yeah. not as good as it used to be. Whereas the plate short rib is still super consistent. Yeah. And yeah. I don't understand why. I don't want people to cook more of it because yeah. it's it's very limited and expensive already. Yeah. But in yeah. terms of competitions and everything, like it's still not the easiest cut of meat. Like, shouldn't we be putting less of a premium on brisket and more of a premium on maybe more consistent cuts? I mean, to a certain extent, but like I say, brisket is the most affordable, excuse me, excellent cut of beef that you can get that's affordable. Because when you start getting to the uh, the short ribs or the prime ribs or even the uh, the Wagyu's, you know what I mean? It's a whole different type of ball game that you're in. 
you know, uh, I enjoy smoking the, uh, the beef short rib. I mean, I, that's one of my favorite things. But, you know, you can get a pound of brisket for $15, $20 most places. One of those short ribs at some places is $50. Well, let me ask you then, how come we haven't started to maybe, this has already happened, I just don't know, but it certainly has been popularized. The chuck roast, I think, can be difficult to smoke because of the muscular uh, nature yeah. of it. And it's tricky and it's not consistent, but so is the brisket. Yeah. But you can make the chuck roast into something delicious. How come that hasn't taken off? I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I know uh, chuck roast to me is like a steak. Uh, I cook it good. I, I don't slow smoke it. I do a fast cook on that because it's not that much fat on it. Uh, it is a cheaper cut, but uh, I've never cared at none of the uh, locations. And a lot of places, I know a lot of places don't because it doesn't hold well either. Because brisket holds because of the fat. You know, you get through a lunch rush. You still slicing off some brisket. It can hold to the dinner rush. You smoke or grill a chuck roast without that fat. Once you start holding that thing in the warm, it's going to dry out. That's the best thing about barbecue, too, is a lot of it has the fat to get you through, you know, lunch to dinner and all that. You know, drier cuts of meat just not going to make it, you know. But turkey breast is pretty dry. And that holds. <laughs> I mean, but tur- yeah, it is. But turkey breast is, is fat. I mean, not fat, but it's thick and it's... uh. What's the word I'm looking for? The middle. It's uh, the middle holds moisture real good. It holds moisture. I mean, you can in, inject the turkey breast and it can sit a few hours in a in a warmer. That damn uh, chuck roast ain't gonna hold. I think that if you keep it in, I mean, I've known some places that just keep their turkey in butter, you know, during service or something like that. Couldn't you do the same with chuck roast? Because I'm just trying to say, it's like. <laughs> There's got to be more ways because we're going to have to find new ways of serving different cuts that barbecue has never really done before because of the popularity of the existing cuts. And that evolution has to happen. Whether people want it or not, the only way it's going to be good is if we find ways. And I don't know if there is ways. A lot of it falls on, like I said, too, it falls on the damn health department because like in L.A., we try to tell them you can't hold barbecue like you hold other meats. They want you to hold at a certain temperature and all that. This meat has been smoked. It's been cooked already. I can't hold this meat at the same thing I hold some fried chicken or something like that. You know what I mean? And and that's a big problem with a lot of restaurants too. You can't hold it in some places. Are If you don't have busy and you're holding that meat, you know what I'm saying, Dave? It's going to dry out. And so the cuts, brisket, ribs, all that, they can hold a little bit better to... Uh, I mean, I totally understand. I mean, I I mean, somebody might do this. I mean, I know it's a couple of places to do shoulder clyde. That's not that far from a from a chuck roast and all that. And they do real good with it. But I just feel like if you got a restaurant, if you got a restaurant and you're busy, you can do whatever the hell you want to get do because it's not holding. You moving it. So if you got a good restaurant, go for it. Can I ask another question too on this? Is because I've been I'm in LA and I smoke meats more regularly than I ever could before because I never had a, a backyard. But like, yeah. what I've learned now is I just smoke pork belly, you know, oh, on a Sunday incredible. because of the fat. And I can do it quickly. And yeah. I could do it slow, but quickly too because of the fat content. And it holds. How come smoke belly? Doesn't have to be cured. Just, you know, I don't cure it either. I just crust it with some savory salt and and, and it goes. Yeah. And it's awesome. Oh, yeah. How come we don't see more bacon, fresh bacon in restaurants? 
Uh, I don't know, man. You got to come to one of my pop-ups. I do pork belly all the time when I'm in L.A. You got to come check it out next I, time. I, I my will. Special I guest. will. But you're the master. Yeah. And I'm trying to get people to like, you know, it's still affordable, relatively speaking. And I'm just yeah. like, man, part of this is me. I always get shit because people like in our show, like, why are you, why are you fucking with New Orleans tradition? I'm like, I'm not. I yeah. love New Orleans food. I love Creole. Yeah. I love Cajun. I love Galatoire's. I love it all. But what I don't like is when it becomes the only way that anything in that area can be celebrated. And, yeah. you know, Chris brings it up. There's a, a younger generation of cooks that are trained, that are getting into this profession, that are trying to, like, not rebel, but yeah. do things a little bit differently. And I just want to, like, give them a push and, and say, like, hey, just make it delicious. But barbecue is one of these things where, and I'm guilty of it, too. It's like, don't fuck with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, it ain't that you fucking with it, what you're saying. Don't don't fuck with what you your brisket, your ribs, and all that. But I mean, I do oxtails. I, it's a whole lot of other things that I do that I've learned over the years. Like, damn, you know, I just did a. I can't give too much on it, but I just did a, a episode of DDD. It's like a reunion type episode, and quote unquote best oxtail he ever had. You know, mm. and I do a jerk oxtail and a curry oxtail. <sighs> that's uh, so you you know you are you know. What you're saying is not, it's not like you're saying fuck nothing up. It's like, just expand your game a little bit. I totally agree with you. Can I ask, <laughs> Kevin, I have this debate all the time because I think the oxtail <laughs> is the best, most delicious cut oh my God. over anything on the cap. <laughs> it is yeah. the best. I don't care. It's not just opinion. I think it is. It but is. there's one thing I do know. It will never, ever, ever, ever reach... The popularity it deserves, as it does outside uh, uh, of America, because this is what I want to ask. Do you think white people will ever get down with oxtail? Southern white people do already. I mean, go back, and, and it's so funny when you talk about oxtails and how expensive they are. I'm 55, so I go back when they was 49 cents a pound when I was a kid. If you watch the damn Beverly Hillbillies and Granny, she would clown oxtails with some people used to clown. Oh, what's for dinner, Granny? Uh, oh, I'm cooking crow's, egg, crow's feet and oxtails. And that's actually on some of the episodes. But oh now God. it's like one of the most expensive cuts of meat, you know? I mean, oxtail, I mean, I don't know what they think. They eat every other part of the cow and other part of the pig. And it's just the tail. And it's some of the best meat, if not the best meat. And it takes smoke well, you know? I mean, add that to the list of, of me asking masters, <laughs> such as yourself, like, man, like, how come it's not on the menus? Because guess what? It's never even hit my brain. And I was like, oh, my God, you could smoke oxtail. Yeah, oh, yeah. Never but most, But see, most soul food restaurants in L.A., they have, they got oxtails. Most Jamaican restaurants everywhere, they got oxtails, you know. But it's always It's braised. just the mainstream. A lot of other restaurants, you know, just don't have them. So when you smoke oxtails, other than your jerk, can you just put it in a smoker and that's it? And like, nah, and you got to, you could, it's, it's such a tight meat. And uh, once that smoke hit it, it gets tighter and tighter. All you can do is, and you have to put a light smoke. It can't take too much smoke. Then after that, you got to braise it. You know, you okay. take it out okay. and you braise it. But you get that, like, you get that smoke in it because once it's in it, it's in it. And, it, and then it has to be a light smoke and it can't be overpowering because uh, you know how it is. Like when you make it, when you put it in with your curry, if that smoke is too overpowering, it's going to bitter out your curry. So it has to be a light, light smoke. And uh, when I do it with the make my curry and it's, and it's amazing and it's just that hint of smoke that just takes it there. And when they God, open it damn. up, you can still see that smoke ring on it. It's amazing. What are you serving with your curry oxtail? 
I mean, uh, well, usually we do a pop-up at the restaurant. You know, I might do some uh, coconut uh, rice and peas, mm. always some collard greens or something like that, uh, pinto beans or whatever. You know, it just depends on what they want, what I'm feeling like cooking. <laughs> I mean, damn. I got so many questions about this, man. <laughs> like yesterday, I did uh, curry goat and uh, coconut beans and uh, peas and rice and uh, collard greens yesterday. I smoked some goat and uh, made some spicy curry with it. It was pretty damn good. Now... You know, this goes to more barbecue competition, but also just street cred as a pit master and actually, you know, and watching the, the your barbecue Netflix show. Can you be considered great pit master, barbecue master, if you make shitty sides? Yeah, oh yeah, as long as your meat is good. You no, good. it doesn't matter, right? Because I think nah. it's a lot of be like a, a, like a, like a chef in a, a, a fancy restaurant, Michelin star restaurants, where a lot of them like, I don't know how to bake a cake. And yeah. they don't get penalized, right? But there are yeah. chefs that can do both. But in the barbecue world, there's got to be pit masters that are like, I'm not going to make baked beans. I'm not going to make anything. I'm just here yeah. to smoke fucking meat. And, and and that's cool as long as you're making your paper. But why not be good at them all? I mean, right. we've also been the best, uh, gotten the best collard greens in L.A. We've gotten the best uh, mac and cheese in L.A. before awarded many times. So why not dominate all that shit? That's where I look at it. You know? <laughs> If you ain't gonna do it, get your get your mama or somebody in there to cook them damn sides. You know. I mean, listen, they, they they can buy your cookbook, but can you give everybody just like a quick what what makes your mac and cheese recipe so damn good? A season of goddamn noodles. I mean, cheese is cheese, you know that. You know, but see, some people don't season their noodles, and then using that a uh, a uh, mild cheddar. Get you some goddamn sharp cheddar. <laughs> You know what I mean? And season them the garlic, salt, and pepper them damn noodles. God damn. Oh my God. So fun. It's the little, it's talk. the little stuff that they won't do. I don't know. <laughs> crab cheese and macaroni. Chang <laughs> feels the same way. Can we play can we play top three barbecue sides real quick? Can we can we do that? Can we see what your your top three sides are, each of us? Me first? Yeah, you go first. You you, you uh, you're I'm, you're living and breathing it. I'm collard greens, mac and cheese, and potato salad. Oof. Yeah. Chang, you got three? Oh, man, that's tough. But here's the thing. <laughs> if, if collard greens is bad, it's bad. Yes. It's really like makes you not like it. But good collard yeah. greens is like, why am I not eating this all the time? Yeah, yeah. That's right. Um, that's but I right. think collard greens has to be, for me, collard greens has to have like a little bit more acidity than a lot of other people may may not like because I think yeah. you have to have that balanced out. I love like I ha I used to cook collard greens all the time for family meal and I feel like I've I've really grown to love it first because I never grew up eating it and then after yeah. I became a professional cook it's something that is affordable. You know you can buy yeah. no I think now people want to have collard greens because it's like healthy and stuff but before like 20 years ago that was the cheapest vegetable yeah. you could buy. Uh -huh. And ain't nothing healthy about it once you once you uh, put it in all that. Once you cook it. If you're doing it right, it's, there's nothing healthy about it. Yeah, if you juice it or oh, whatever, but uh, once you getting that pig fat and that chicken base and all that, ain't yeah. nothing healthy about that. No, yeah, no. Top top three sides: collard green juice, uh, uh, wheatgrass shot. Yeah, or the you know uh, coleslaw, coleslaw and uh, potato slaw for me. What is potato? What the hell is potato slaw? Potato salad. <laughs> Sorry, 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 sorry. Hash browns? We talking about hash browns? He's, he's, he's innovating. I apologize. He's innovating. Apologize, master. I'm so sorry. Let me ask you this: Does does a stack of does such like a stack of white bread count as a side for barbecue, or is that just a foregone conclusion? Now you that just you need to have do it. it. I, I wouldn't call it a side, but you need it. You need All right. it. 
All right, then that's then, then I'm probably beans, potato salad, and 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 greens is probably mine. Fuck, man, beans is good too. Shit, there's so many good sides. God damn, barbecue sides severely underrated when you think about it. Really, for real? Yeah. Mac and cheese, I can't. No, I can't do top three. I can't do top because <laughs> like, here's the thing: when they are good, when they are good, man, it is like that's a real problem. It's like you you really have to sort out how you're going to eat the rest of the meal. You know, I think you said exactly. It's a problem because you can't eat all of it because there's too much good stuff and then you can't eat the meat. I think it's a problem. It's a problem. You're going to eat that meat though. (laughs) What's the beverage of choice for you, Kevin, when eating barbecue? I mean, I'm such a cognac drinker. Uh, I mean, back in the day, a strawberry soda. Uh, Usually if if I'm eating barbecue, uh, you know, a soda probably or something like that because I don't don't drink and eat. When I'm drinking, I'm ready to drink. I'm ready to bend my elbow. I'm ready to bend my elbow. That's why I went to bed early <laughs> last night. <laughs> I don't know, man. I think a glass of cognac with some barbecue, that sounds pretty good. I would do that. That sounds pretty good. Oh, no. yeah. Then you might get somebody barbecue credits. You want to get no credit after about three shots of yak. You know, <laughs> oh, it's good. <laughs> oh, man. That's too funny. So, Kevin, the other thing about you that you've, you've alluded to a couple of times here, man, you, you've lived a lot of lives. <laughs> you've, been a, you've been a DJ. You played college ball. You were a corrections uh, officer. You're doing barbecue. Like two questions. One, are you as a chef, as as a pitmaster, as a chef, as a television host, are you better at that because you have such a wide range of backgrounds? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Like I tell people too, they like you know, uh, how do you deal with uh, all this and still be like whatever? I'd be like, and it's and it sounds like you bragging, but it's not. I was captain of the football team. And I say that to say people have cheered before. You know what I mean? And 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 you just keep doing what you're supposed to do. You know what I mean? It's not like that's the reason why you're doing it. You're doing what you're supposed to do. You know, you pay your dues. And, and you know, like I told you, I'm not the most religious person in the world, but I tell people all the time, you look out for people, things are going to happen that you just can't you know, imagine. And it has to come from the heart. I mean, there's no way you can even explain it. I mean, I've been blessed to, like, when I hear some of the things in my book that Noah talks, I'll be like, God damn, that was me, you know? But but then you just hear about some of the other stories when people say, I remember this when Kevin did this and Kevin did that. And and like I said, that's where it comes from, man. I was raised like that to give. Uh, one of my best saying is, um, I don't give to be blessed. I'm blessed, so I give. Mm. And I try to tell my kids that. And just as long as you have that in your heart, good things going to always happen to you, you know, always. And I, I try to even like right now when I said I wanted to slow down, the pandemic is the only thing that slowed me down, you know? Yeah. I, I love, I mean, I love what you said there. Like people have cheered before and you know to keep your head down and keep working. That's right. Because That's, that, they'll stop cheering. Yeah, because the game can yeah. swing. Yeah, you drop that ball or give them some burnt up ass brisket or <laughs> or uh, uh, drop a couple of lines or something like that. No, that's it. You know, you you uh you still got to always be up on your game. You got to always want to. And just like what what Dave was just saying, you know, it's all you got to always have an ear to things changing and not being afraid to change and not being afraid to add certain things and and not being afraid to learn. Like I say, every day you get up. You should try to learn something. My granny used to say she was 90-something. Every day I try to learn something every day. Every day I try to learn something. Every single day. And as long as you do that and all, and just always have that hunger, just just keep that hunger. You know, it's a song I love when they say, always feel small when you're standing by the ocean. You know, <laughs> I love that. You know, keep your ass, keep, stay humble. And and uh, 
I tell all younger ones that, like, oh, I want to get to where you are. Okay, well, you got to put there's some work you got to do. You can have the same outcome. If you, if you do this rest, this life recipe the same way, it's going to come out the same way. If you try to have shortcuts and all that, it's going to come out. So when it's time to do your life recipe, do it like that cook recipe, that food recipe that you're trying to do. You're trying to make it the best. Do your life recipe the same damn way. Mm-hmm. You know, speaking of putting the work in and being the best, you know, as someone that is thinking about opening a restaurant or seeking a life, learning how to master the art of smoking meats, you don't have to enter competitions and nah, stuff like that, nah, right? You don't. I mean, competition is totally different, too. You know, I mean, you try to cook a competition rib, Dave, and serve it at a restaurant, they're going to say you got tough meat, you know, because they want that little pull on it. You know, just do, if you want to do competitions, that's fine. But uh, I always say make your family your guinea pigs, your family, your homeboys, your cousins and all them, and learn. Learn your uh, equipment. You know, people get paranoid about smoking and sometimes it's the littlest thing. I say, man, learn your smoker first. Learn that smoker. Learn the temperature control over that smoker. Once you master temperature control, you on your way, you know, but most people, oh, my temperature's jumping. Oh, it's doing this, it's doing that. Master your temperature control and you on your way. You can smoke anything. And how much of barbecue lore and the mythologizing of barbecue is to sort of scare the shit out of the amateur? <laughs> I mean, it does because I mean, because it's always the time. I mean, just like cooking oxtails, some women be talking, about, "Oh, I can't get my my oxtails was tough." Goddamn, you didn't let them cook long enough. You know, it's the same thing. Especially like me, you know, my saying, "Low and slow, like a six fold, baby." Low and slow. Learn that pit. Learn how to keep that damn pit at two fifty. You already got that mastered. And most people don't want to take the time to do that. You know? Do you think it's because the secret to barbecue is really two things? It's getting great product, first and foremost. You can probably turn average product into medium to good tasting barbecue, but it'll never be extraordinary. Yeah. You have to have good product. And two, it's just temperature, Yeah, right? Yeah, it's controlling the temperature. That's and, and it. Learn, and learn without the... See, I, I learned before they had all the little probes and all that. You know, I learned by feel and time and all that. Learn by that. Learn that way. Force yourself to learn it that way. And then when you do use the probes and all that kind of stuff, it's like, oh, damn, my shit is right. Like uh, my friend Noah said, damn, you know, I learned how to barbecue from Kev. I never used the thing. But then when I started using the probes, my shit was right on time. It was like like right where I thought it would be. Learn it the hard. T- and if you're a pit master or a chef, teach them the hard way. Teach these little young punks the hard way. <laughs> Give them, you know, don't make your... If you want another OG in the business, you treat them the way you was raised. Mm-hmm. You know, Shit. And uh, before I make any barbecue person upset, Dave just said it's two simple things. Uh, playing football at professional level is the same thing. You're just throwing a ball. Playing tennis is just hitting a ball with the right. Just because it sounds yeah. simple doesn't mean it's fucking simple at all. That's why if, if, fo- if football was like that, I, I, I would have been playing football and not uh, uh, in the barbecue business. That, that was my first love. So, you know. But so, Kevin, you're working on a cookbook, and, and it's kind of apropos of what we're talking about right now. I mean, Dave just said it. It's just controlling the temperature, but that's one of the hardest things to do because you can't tell a cook, now at the four-hour and 25-minute mark, place <laughs> a, you know, three-foot by two-foot, you know, piece of wood yeah. onto the fire at this angle. Like, you can't tell them to do that. Nah, it's got to be intuitive. But- it is, but that's the whole point, the whole thing, uh, Chris. Learn your pit. Learn that. Learn your temperature. Once you learn that, like even if you're just cooking chicken, 
and you're trying to keep the temperature at 250 for three hours, learn how to do that. Then learn how to keep something at 250 for five hours. Then learn how to do it for six or seven hours. Learn it, and then it's everything's going to come easier. You know, it is. It's, it sounds like a lot of pit masters would make you think is, which is, I mean, like you said, Rodney Scott, yeah, it's a lot of things that we know from just cooking every day or cooking so long. Oh, you can do this, you can do that. But a lot of those things you're going to learn, too, on your own by doing it. But the first thing when it comes to smoking low and slow, learn your pit. Learn your pit and learn how to control your fire. That That is, I can't explain that enough. If you learn that, then you off to a good start. On the Netflix show, Mark, American Barbecue Showdown. I mean, if you entered that competition, is that something like anybody could win that's really good? Or is it just nah, luck? It's hard, no. right? That shit, you seen some of the shit they was cooking on, man. I mean, some of the things that we arguing about giving them to work on, I was like, shh. <laughs> I wouldn't fuck with that, you know? Uh, and, we, and like I said, you had some chefs on there too that are pit masters now. But then you had somebody raw, like Rashid was raw. I mean, he was straight raw. But when you talk about like that next generation, that's the kind of person that you want. Somebody who respects the game, loves the game, works hard and works hard on, on what he does. He, he, he does American barbecue with that twist of, Jamaica, the Caribbean in there, and he does good product, man. And I mean, him and Tina and all of them, all of them was great at what they did, man. It was this incredible show, you know? When you're watching that, I mean, so much of it gets edited out, but were you able to be like, hey, man, like, you can't give any hints or tips along the way? I mean, you can give a few tips, but uh, you just got to, you know, when you walk over there, but they kind of know, I mean, because we were there for almost a whole month filming with them. So uh, did you film that in the pandemic? No, no, no. That was like, we filmed that in Georgia, uh, September 2019. Wow. Okay. I love the show, man. I love Thanks, that show. Man. I thought it was, it, was, it was really smart, man. It was really well done. And, and you guys were clever in how you guys made that. So, bravo. It was hot as, hot as hell out there. I was sweating like a brother at a Klan rally with a white woman the whole time I was there. But it was hot. <laughs> what, what, was it, what was important to you when you were thinking about hosting that show, judging that show? What was... When you're in pre-production, you're you're plotting it out and everything. What what was important to you as a pitmaster that be communicating that show? Because Dave, Dave, we're working on all these shows, and and Dave's a professional chef. Like that's his first love. That's yeah. the, the industry is his love, and he's got to be. You know, there's there's certain hallmarks of integrity that we're always talking about, making yeah, sure we keep yeah. in the show. So like, what was important to you in this barbecue show? Even though it was a competition, just knowing I was there for all of them, for all of them. If they came to me, and if it was something I can help them with, I was gonna help them. Because it was so hard not to get emotionally tied into these people. It was hard not to, like, you know, just fall in love with who they are, their characters, and who they are. I mean, Sylvia, I mean, that's like a, a OG to me in L.A. And here I am judging Sylvia. You mm -hmm. know, I mean, you got to just keep it 100. You know what I mean? And, and, and that's what you had to do the whole show. I mean, it was some arguments behind the scenes before we pick winners and stuff like that. But uh, just that, because, like, if you watch it, the emotions of that show, you know, and uh, that's just what I wanted. Like, put your heart into it, you know, and just know I'm here. I'm a clown. I'm going to have fun with you. I'm going to try to make it just like at a, a regular family barbecue. We going to clown. We going whatever, whatever. But at the end of the day, I just wanted them to know I was here. I was there for all of them. Mm -hmm. Speaking of like food TV and this follows under the unscripted food TV and, and, and it's a show that you're on quite a bit is Bar Rescue. And I was surprised to find out that it is one of the most watched unscripted food yes. programs out there. People 
fucking love Bar uh, Rescue. Uh, and it seems to me, like, I'd love your opinion. Like, I just want to know. It seems like a fun show to make. Oh, my God. I mean, it's... it's <laughs> Because we may we may or may not just try to copy it. <laughs> yeah. I mean John Taffer. I mean just know John like he's hardcore. He's but some of my funnest TV is is five. You usually on set for five days doing an episode of Bar Rescue, and it is the funnest five days around. And the crew, the, the guys that work on that crew, and I mean damn, come on, you you at a bar, you don't even get out the hotel until at night to go save a bar. <laughs> and you hang out, and 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 sometimes you can have cocktails with them, and all that, and, and you can just be yourself. Kev, I need you to fuck them up, clown, and you can clown and all that. I mean, it's the funnest show I do. All of them are cool. I'm blessed to have all of them, but I enjoy Bar Rescue because uh, John Taffer and some of the uh, other chefs I work with, and of course some of the bartenders. Uh, I have learned so much, and have learned so much from uh, from John Taffer. I mean, that is a very 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 smart dude. And uh, a lot of people don't even understand where he, I don't know if you guys know, one of the biggest things he did away from bar, uh, the bar scene. I mean, he's opened up so many bars and helped people open up probably five, 600 bars. But uh, he, John Taffer actually came up with the concept for the NFL Sunday ticket. What? What? Yes. So imagine that, you know. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. I mean... That probably takes a dude working in a bar, looking at a lot of uh, TV, right? Trying to get the schedule right, which is a nightmare. Yes, I yes. mean, actually, it makes sense for someone like John would be the entrepreneur idea behind. Like, we got to get this organized. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, I mean, imagine that. So you get a you get a kickoff <laughs> off uh, uh, every Sunday. You getting some off the NFL. That's amazing. But uh, he's a great dude. He's a very very smart dude, man. Very chose the wrong business. I knew I should have become a goddamn bartender or something. Man, pour them <laughs> drinks, dude. <laughs> I mean, yeah, man. That that that's that's good work, man. I love seeing you on TV and uh I can't wait to see what you have next. What do you, what do you got working up other than the pop-up in, in Texas? You know, when the pandemic is done, where are we going to see you next? Got a couple of uh shows that we working on. Uh we working on a real uh the low and slow show that uh going to be pretty incredible. That's me riding around in a uh, 64 Impala, me and my boys hitting some spots and all that. Uh, but we're going to hit spots that have never been on certain shows. You know, uh, we're going to the spot. We're going to talk to the people. We're going to their houses and all that. And it's like everybody say, I have a story. I'm going to people who have real stories, good or bad. I want to hear the story, you know, and it's going to be deep. And we're working on that right now. And it's going to uh, if it gets picked up, it's going to be a pretty incredible show. It's going to be fun. It's going to be laughter. It's going to be tears. It's going to be good food. It's going to be good music, all that. But it's going to be a real incredible show. Awesome. And the cookbook. And the cookbook next spring, right? Or, or spring 22? Spring 2022, the Bluxo uh, Family Cookbook. It's going to be real amazing, too. It's more uh, about 100 recipes, but it's uh autobiography, too, of, of, of me and uh who I am. It's dry snitching everything about me, so I'd be pretty good. <laughs> well, have, have you back on when that comes out so we can talk about all those moments in your life? And, oh, and, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, we family now. So, yeah. yeah. Blood So <laughs> Legacy is a, is a big deal, man. And um, I'm incredibly thankful that yourself, you're, you are safe and, and healthy, and uh, I can't wait to eat your curry oxtail. And oh, I'm man. going to... I get keep in touch, and when I do, I want you to be, uh, you guys to be my special guest that night at the first pop up. 
looking forward to it. Thank you, Kevin. Okay, man. Thanks for having me, man.